0: You're listening to Leafs Lunch with Julia Tushery and Michael DeStefano on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here.
1: On to the wing down for Nylander, dropping the puck back. Giordano scores! Mark Giordano starts the play and finishes it. And the Maple Leafs have a quick 1-0 lead. Miner taking it to the net. Oh and a good pass, the rebound and right. they score! Connor Timmons spots, Yarncrook at the side of the net and Kelly Yarncrook hammers it home. Off onto the left wing side, across the line is Belziel, a shot in a goal, they score! Jamming it in is Harvey Pennard. and the game is tied at two. Pitlick with the puck back in his own zone. Got it ahead. Hoffman back to Pitlick going wide on Tavares. Scores! Rem Pitlick ends the game in overtime.
2: Okay, happy Monday, everyone. Welcome to Leafs Lunch on TSN 1050. Julia Tescheri and Mike DeStefano with you for the next two hours. The Leafs coming off a bit of a tragic overtime loss on Saturday night in Montreal, uh, it's not a house of horrors per se, but some, well, some hurtful memories in that building over the past couple seasons.
3: Well, I think it's five straight losses at the Bell Center.
2: Yeah, I didn't realize it was that deep, so house of horrors I guess is appropriate.
3: Yeah, I think so. Uh,
2: you know, n- not a very good team this year, AB, but Saturday night it's the Leafs and the Habs, and you always kind of expect a good one.
3: Well, it's always going to be, like, you just never know what to expect, No, I think, is what the situation is there, right? Probably
2: like, an emotional day for that team. Cole Caulfield came out that morning yeah. uh, that he was going to have season-ending shoulder surgery. Uh, by the way, in a busy show that we have today for you all, <laughs> Mike Johnson is going to be on in the next couple minutes to, to chat about all this with us. But
3: Do you think the NHL, by the way, knew that this... News was coming, and they just got ahead of it, and that's why he didn't end up at the All Star game. No, but like, if
2: he's and now be you're injured, placing the tin hat on my head. If they me.
3: knew that he was going to be hurt, they just got ahead of it and was like, well, "Was I going to be there anyway?" So let's take him out of the running and let's put in whatever Austin Matthews or Pasternak.
2: Uh, I have no idea. It's an interesting thought, though. I, I'm definitely intrigued by the theory, and I will, I will think about placing the tin hat on my head for that one. Okay. At uh, least have another, another game tonight, though, to bounce back from that overtime loss. They've got the Islanders at home tonight, mm-hmm. and of interest, Samsonov gets the start. Three starts in a row for Ilya Samsonov, four yeah. appearances in a row. Came in relief that one game for Matt Murray. So, are you surprised? Are you... I, I'm not surprised because he's probably earned it, and we'll play the Sheldon Keefe audio in a moment where he says that he's earned it. I'm surprised... Just in knowing the way that they've gone back and forth and they're really committed to the schedule that they're on.
3: Well, yeah, so I I think that we all kind of woke up this morning and and it was a question, okay, who's going to start? And then when you see Matt Murray on the ice... Ahead of a game day. Typically, that's uh, an indicator that he's not going to be playing, and he was at Morning Skate, and then the first guy off was Sam Snuff. And they asked him after, and they said, Yep, uh, you know, Sam Snuff's earned it. But I thought it was really interesting afterwards. He They asked him if he was running away with it, and he had a really interesting response about the goalie schedule and the thought process behind that and how you know in the second half of the season now things might be going a little differently than you know the alternating starts that they were going ahead of time so why do we play that uh right now here's what Sheldon Keith had to say about the goaltending schedule
0: part of how we were
3: moving the goalies was early in the season was a managing them coming off of injuries b trying to get them both reps and get them in the net after missing significant time from injuries not having them just sit too long coming out of being injured and then also that both were playing really well at the same time and then both sort of Slept at the same time so it was harder to have any sort of separation But I think we're, we're into the second half of the season here now and I think it's important to give guys the opportunities when they've earned it and Matt will be ready when he gets back in and he'll get his chance to to go back uh, back with it, but we've got two guys that are going to compete for the net and uh, we like that
2: Sheldon Keith likes that and There's another part of that conference where Keith says that Samsonov has earned this start. I don't think that there's any question about that.
3: The only thing that I find weird about this is... It was less than a week ago he's talked about needing to get Matt Murray more home starts. Yeah. And then the first game so back you and at home. we actually
2: haven't really talked about this. It, this was kind of a buzz on Friday, but w- we on our show haven't talked about We
3: did slightly okay. on on Friday we talked about like the you about the splits, the yes. home road splits. We briefly delved into it. It became a sensation. It. It did, and then it kind of took on a life of its own, and we were curious, okay, well, who's going to get the start on the road? And right. Samsonov kind of struggled on the road, right? And that's where it's like, oh, okay, so he struggled, took another road loss. So coming back home, where, again, Sheldon Keefe had talked about, yeah, we want to get Matt Murray some more starts. He said this within the last week. We Wants to get him more home starts. First game back at home since those comments... He gives it to Ilya Samsonov for a third straight game.
2: Worth noting, though, that the Leafs have five home games. Yeah, and I'm sure he'll get a couple. I'm sure
3: he'll get a couple of those. I'm sure he will. But I just thought it was kind of funny how literally the first opportunity he had to give him another home start. He veered the other way and went with Samsonov for a third straight game.
2: Yeah, it, it is interesting, and it'll continue to be interesting because it's become—usually it, we're pretty good, A.B. We, we can look at the schedule and say, okay, it'll probably be this guy, it'll probably be that guy. Last year we were okay with predicting the starters. This year, I, I'm, I've been off like, a bunch of times. Well,
3: so as- I
2: thought that maybe Matt Murray wouldn't be the worst idea on Saturday
3: night. Yeah, I mean, well, because he plays well on the road, yeah. right? Like he's, he's and a he road had that guy. tough
2: game <laughs> against them earlier in the season, to right. write that wrong. Right. I, I, I haven't known either way. I was surprised to see Samsonov going this morning, but again, not because he hasn't deserved it, just because of how they've
3: this split. Exactly, and what Sheldon Keefe we just heard him say is, we that was our what we want to do earlier, right? They were both coming back from injury. Yeah, we just wanted to get them playing games. But now they're in the back half of the season where points and wins are crucial. So I think they're at a point now where both guys are healthy. They're in a you know they played a lot. They they got their legs under them. They're in mid season form. Quote, and um, you know I think that at this point you you got to ride." with the hot hand like you got to go with the goalie who you feel gives you the best chance to win and obviously it feels like you know matt murray may have lost a little bit of trust from sheldon keith or maybe more so samsonov has earned trust from sheldon keith and he, i mean it's three straight games he's gone back to him
2: yeah samsonov rolling right now and mike johnson our tsn hockey analyst on the phone with us on this fine monday how's it going mj
0: Good morning, guys. I am doing very well, and uh, yes, you're right. You know, positive Monday. I think it's more Samsonov has earned the trust more so than Matt Murray has lost it. Although clearly Murray's games as of late, some of his performances haven't been up to up to his own standard. But um, Samsonov has has taken the ball. He's taken the opportunities, to run with it, he's, and he's shown himself to be um, sharper of the two right now. And If you're the sharper of the two, then you probably deserve to start more often.
3: I find it peculiar only because no more than a week ago, I think like four or five days ago, Sheldon Keefe came out and said, you know, I want to get Matt Murray some more home starts. Like, everyone looks at the home road splits and how polar opposite they are. So he wanted to get him some more home games. And his first opportunity to do that since coming back from Montreal, and he veers away from it and goes with Sam Snob. Like, is that kind of... A peculiar decision to you, or am I kind of overthinking it?
0: Well, I suppose it's mixed messages, but you know things change quickly. And I think he said, I imagine he said that with the idea that if they continue to play the same the way they have all year, mm. it makes sense to get Murray some more at home and Samsonov some more on the road, have these things found themselves out. But they're not playing the same way they played all year long, and Samsonov's playing better than Murray right now. Murray's had a little... Uh, a little dip. Well, you know, he dipped in, in December, and then he came back out of a couple good games, and he's dipped again. So, um, you know, you have to be fluid uh, uh, with your plans. You can't just kind of commit to them and stick to them blindly. If, if things change, you change with them. And I think that's probably appropriate. And um, You know, they, they will need both goalies the rest of the way. They will use both goalies the rest of the way. I, I think the only thing that matters is with, with whatever it is, 35 games left, which is not that many, to be honest with you, but 35 games left. How does this sort itself out as they start to approach the playoff? I don't think at the trade deadline there's any consideration whatsoever to go goaltending shopping. Mm. But I think as they approach the playoffs, then it starts, okay, well, who are they looking to to possibly start? Is that guy going to start every game? You know, that's when maybe the discussion matters more about who's getting what and when.
2: Yeah, that'll be when the real intrigue comes when it comes to the goaltending starts. Our TSN hockey analyst Mike Johnson on the phone with us, and MJ in the spirit of Positive Monday, the Leafs had a great first period in Montreal on Saturday. They were stomping them, had a terrible second period, mm-hmm. but then came back and had a pretty respectable... Uh, no, pretty respectable isn't giving enough credit. They had a really good third. Uh, Mombo uh-huh. was really good. Do you think there's some positivity to be found in that? And in, in maybe that earlier iterations of this team would have a really bad second period and maybe have a worse third period, but the fact that they were able to, to shake it off and come out strong for the third may be promising?
0: You are spinning the, spinning <laughs> the web today. <laughs> we're having fun. I mean... Listen, I am all Still for uh, keeping it a positive <laughs> yeah. lens on things, but no, no, I don't think so. I mean, listen, they they outplayed Montreal, but did you see Montreal's
3: roster? Yeah, they, they should. I hate when Montreal, I look right? at a roster
2: and I'm like, oh, God, I reckon... I, guy, who Harvey, is this person? Harvey
3: <laughs> Pernard scored the game-time Harvey goal. Harvey like, I've never heard, heard of this that, name man. in my life.
0: Raphael Harvey Penard, big-time <laughs> scorer and junior. Nice tagline, though. Well. Yeah, exactly, great name. But, no, I mean, I, I think... They will be disappointed to have only gotten one point in the game. They will be disappointed to not have put a team away earlier when they maybe outplayed them in the first to kind of get that game right out of reach. They will be disappointed that a game went to overtime and not to open up previous bad wounds, but you know, the overtime record to start this year was not very good. So, you know, that's probably somewhere in their psyche. Like, hey, we want to make sure we're better than that at three and three, which won't matter in the playoffs, but it matters right now. Um, but. At the same time, if you're a bad game, if you're a bad results, if you're um, disappointing—not effort, but just execution and and result—result are are with you getting a point on the road. um, You know, it's not the end of the world at all. Um, And and they certainly did outplay them for for large stretches of that game. And Monzambouz had a nice year. We don't probably talk about him, uh, given what's going on in Montreal and everything else, but he's had a really solid year. He's had several games like the one against Toronto where he has kind of stolen points or kept Montreal in it. So um, I don't think they feel great about the fact they took control of that game in the third again, but um, I don't think they're going to beat themselves up too, too much um, with losing a one point.
3: Yeah, I'm just looking now. Last seven games for the kid, only a 4-3 record, probably because of the mm-hmm. team he plays for. Yeah. nine thirty four save percentage. Wow. nine thirty
0: four. So you're stopping 28-30, and you're losing <laughs> as much as you're winning. Yeah. Like, that's a tough, that's yeah. a tough go. That's a high standard to, to to hit. So um yeah. So that you know, that's all part of it. You can't uh, you you can't overreact, but you don't want to act like it's nothing either.
3: Yeah. I am curious to get your thoughts on what you've seen of, of Morgan my the last couple of games. You know, he was a whipping boy for a couple of weeks there, returning from injury, but I think he's kinda of coming back around now, into form.
0: Okay. Was, was he a whipping boy, or was he getting some deserved critique of it? No, play? it was
3: well-deserved. It was completely okay. deserved. I think I came on, it was like a week yeah. ago, I came on the show, and I was like, hey, is there a, are we going to be concerned? Like, he's not playing well. I think I, I was very much yeah. in the conversation where I'm sitting here saying, he's not playing well. Is there concerns here? But anyways, I think he's played a lot better since last we chatted, a week ago. And I'm you, curious, yeah. though, how much you think... Like, how much credit does Cynthia Lilligren deserve for that? Because since these kind of put him in there, it seems like Riley's been a little bit more steady. Is that just, you know, happens because he's getting healthier and gaining more confidence? Or, you know, is Lilligren kind of, you know, doing his part in helping settle Morgan Riley?
0: Um, I think he's playing better because he heard you challenge him last week. That's what like, I you are too, the you are the Skip Bayless of uh, Toronto <laughs> oh, hockey. Come on! Man. And when you challenge guys, it matters so much to them that they they play better. No, what was it's, Shannon it's, it's Sharp. The, Did you
3: see that Shannon Sharp moment over I, the Yeah. Weekend? <laughs> no. First of all,
0: first of all, spectacular cardigan. I mean, you're going front row and you wear that cardigan yeah. thing. You better be ready to play. But it's funny because I've heard Shannon Sharp and LeBron James. And we died died. Di- di- digress here for a second. Both criticize fans being overly involved. And like I get you're an <laughs> all-pro ex-athlete, but you're just a fan at this point. And you're challenging players in the court to fight? Like, <laughs> like, In what world would that guy not be kicked out of every game in every building?
3: Oh, I know. He uh, wasn't.
0: He, like, he walked out and then he, he walked back in. But anyways, um, best friends and with I'm not the so guy's sure. Like, and listen, D- Dylan Brooks is like public enemy number one for everyone in the, in the NBA. Yeah. And he's a Canadian kid of all things. Did he not?
3: Yeah, he is. Went to so, school with producer Rod. Really? High
0: school buddies. Oh, really? Yeah. No <laughs> wow. way. Yeah. Did not know that. So yeah, but like, he's got like Clay Thompson all over him. He's got LeBron all over him. He, he takes runs at the best players, which I guess you kind of respect. But anyway, um, where are we? Morgan Riley, yes. <laughs> I think Morgan Riley deserves the bulk of the credit because looks like he's skating a bit better. And I don't know if that's health. Maybe it's confidence. Maybe, I, I'm not exactly sure why, but You know, the foundational piece of his game has to be skating. And when he came back, it wasn't as good as it usually is. The last couple games, it's a little bit better. Um, And so when he does that, he puts himself in way better spots all over the ice to make better plays and better decisions. When he's a bit slower, it's bad plays and forced decisions, and things don't go so well. That's a big part of it. Whatever, 65% of it. And then, you know, his partner, Tiffany Lilgren, deserves credit too. I mean, you, you have to rely on your partner and who you're playing with to, to support you and to, to try to put you in good spots. And Lilgren has, has done that. I think Lilgren, maybe on a more macro level, not just the last week, but just the whole year has kind of really established himself as a, a solid defender. Like, I don't know if there are question marks about him before. Feels like there might have been some about him and Sandine, like how good they actually might be. Mm-hmm. I, I think they've both shown themselves this year, like they are legit you know, top four, not maybe not top pair, but top four caliber offensive on a really good team. And and I think Lilligren, the stability that he has, the kind of simple plays he makes, um, and the battle that he puts into every game uh, helps whoever he plays with. And right now it's Morgan Riley. Well, I'm curious
3: if you think the evolution that we've seen from Timothy lilligren TJ Brode, is going to be coming back here sometime uh-huh. soon. I mean, do you think that, that maybe makes the defense a little bit less of a, a need as the deadline approaches? I think,
0: I think the, the, I, the idea, Mike, that they could get a defenseman that would be significantly better than anyone they have is almost impossible mm-hmm. because it would cost so much to get them. Your team might be you know, net-net worst because, uh, you know, you might have given up so much to get that guy who might be fractionally better than somebody you have available to yourself. So um, if they have everyone healthy, and that's a big if for everyone in the NHL right now, but if they have Brody healthy, and he's got to be back apparently, you know, imminently, um, then you have options. Like Sandin and Lilgren have been great for multiple years together. Results speak for themselves. have been really good. Brody does good things wherever he plays. Probably with Morgan Riley, kind of that's your top pair. And then you have Jordano and Hall. Real defensive stalwarts who, who do a good job against top opposition. Like, and while you don't have star power, what you have is good depth. And you have guys who are interchangeable, can play different roles, and, 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 you know, the strength of your defense is in the six of them, not in maybe the one or two. So, yes, I'm with you. I don't think a, a high end defender will be on the shopping list. A depth guy. You know, I think absolutely they will go search one of those guys out, but a high-end guy? Probably not.
2: And as an update for our listeners, TJ Brody was on the ice this morning with conditioning staff uh, ahead of the Leafs' morning skate. And speaking of the Leafs' morning skate, the Leafs have the aisles at home tonight. MJ, there were fire loo chants raining uh, on the <laughs> island yeah. over the weekend. They've lost... They've lost four in a row, and they have two wins in their last ten games. It probably shouldn't be this bad. I don't know. How do you evaluate this New York Islanders team, MJ? I stink. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, I think, you know, they, they're, they're, they've committed too long to the group that was really good with Barry Tross. Right. And it's hard to pivot away from teams that are successful. We see so many teams, whether they win a cup or win a playoff round or just have a good year, that guys get rewarded. And the organization wants to appreciate that and reward that loyalty with contract extensions. And they have too many guys on contract, um that are a little bit too old that they should have kind of turned over. And they are a little bit predictable. Um, they're trying to play more offensive, but they don't probably have the personnel. Like, in many ways, this is what was always peculiar about that. It's not that Lane Lambert's not a good coach, but I believe that he is. But it looked like, to me, the roster that that they were going to go forward with because they can't change it because nobody can really change their rosters, was tailor-made for Lo- for Barry Trotz to get yeah. the most out of, right? Like, they had to play defensive. They had to win two-one games. They had to be the best defensive team in the league. All things the Trotz could make them and wanted to make them. And you change coach. He wants to put in a new system, new identity. Well, that makes sense, except the players you have probably can't win – as much playing that well way as they could under Barry, Barry Trot. so they're stuck in transition uh, with an older team that are totally capped out, but they still have excellent goaltenders, two of them, and that's always a dangerous prospect because their goalies keep them in a whole bunch of games. Probably will be a close game, will be a tough game, um, but they're yeah, they're just they're a team in transition. They got to young, they got to evolve into the modern era of the NHL, uh, which they're not really there just yet.
3: Yeah, it is peculiar. Just because you look at what they were a year ago,
2: I can't how with you in the laughing. word peculiar today. Good, like good word. That's like four times in this I one. Know, MJ I like hit.
3: it. It's a good word. I'm gonna stick with it. <laughs> okay. okay, MJ. It's peculiar yeah. to me how far out this team has fallen off defensively. And I guess you could look and say like the coaching change. They, you know, the system is differently. I mean, you delve into that, but to fall from being one of the best defensive teams. To currently ranking what sixth in expected goals uh, against and then fifth in high danger chances given up is uh, surprising to me. There you go. Sixth
0: worst or fifth worst or sixth on the top worst. Six six from the bottom. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I I think uh, yeah, it's 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 tough. Uh, They brought in Romanoff from Montreal, thinking that he would be a real stabilizer. It hasn't worked well for him, And, and it goes to show, I think, more than anything, like. How much Barry Trotz influenced how that team played? Because mm. I don't, I don't think Layla Lambert would want to come in there and like you know completely disregard the foundational pieces that they had in place. Kind of like Jim Montgomery didn't want to do that in Boston, right? Like he was trying to take the good from the previous guy and add to it, um, but he hasn't been able to find the mix like the Bruins has. So uh, it is surprising to see them fall that far that quickly. But you watch them play, they are not. They don't play fast. It's kind of a slower game. They have a whole bunch of good forwards, but they're all a bit older. They're all good. Matt Barzell, who can be great, hasn't had a great year um, by his standards. So it's, not just, it's just not working right now. And the problem is, is, maybe you have the computer in front of you, like, I still think they have one more year where a lot of these guys will be back. Uh, and then it kind of opened, and then the roster completely turns itself over. So um, yeah, they're they're in a transition period, and, um, and, and that's that's a tough spot to be in in, in pro sports.
3: Yeah, they got pretty much everybody. Uh, one more season to go. I think the yeah. only guy, Dang. Scott Mayfield, is the only like UFA that I would consider as part of their like now, loose he, core. You know what?
0: Hang on, Scott Mayfield, least uh, target. Yes.
4: Ooh. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I like it. That. Is exactly the kind of guy Penny UFA. I don't know if they're going to make it. Um, you know, a guy like that, you know, rangy guy. Maybe if there's an injury, maybe he can outplay one of the guys in front of him. Whatever, um, he would be a guy that they might have an eye on. So, Somebody like that, depending on health. Like I don't know if he plays, steps in and plays in front of anyone else, especially with how well Lillgren has played on the right side. But a right shot defensive defenseman skates relatively well. Has played in a good defensive system before. Guy like that might perk.
2: Yeah, definitely can't have too many of those on an NHL roster. Uh, With our TSN hockey analyst Mike Johnson right now and Johnny, a lot of good hockey uh, over the weekend, but pretty much the only story that had everyone's attention was the way that things were playing out with the Vancouver Canucks, and uh, I'm sure you all saw online Bruce Boudreau on the bench on Saturday night, knowing full well he was coaching in his last game with the Vancouver Canucks, but not officially fired yet. Uh, We saw online reports of players Walking into the room, being quite emotional and saying his goodbyes, and all this again. Well, he had yet to be fired, and then officially came out yesterday <laughs> morning that uh, he was out and talk it was in. They went through the press conference. I, I don't know. Just give me your sh- your thoughts on the way that this played out.
0: So, it, first of all, it, it's bizarre. It's it really unlike anything I ever have really seen, yeah. given how public. The the speculation was and like to the day. I mean, it was ten days ago. They said, yeah, probably that 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 Monday today. I guess was the day they thought it would get replaced. Yeah. Um, and it happened on the Sunday. Um, the whole thing felt unseemly, unprofessional. I'm not going to say disrespectful because listen, we're all pros. Whether it's a coach or a player, or if I see my name in a trade rumor, it's not much different than a coach seeing him his name in a fired rumor. Like you know you know it's, it's we're all part of the gig, so I'm not going to say disrespectful, but. Uh, more unprofessional that it was so public, so long, and they just kind of let it linger out there. They could have easily let him go, let an interim coach coach for a week until Rick Tockett was cleared to come out there, or whatever was taking Rick Tockett so long. So yeah, it just it it was another, but it was almost like in an like in an isolated view, you're like hey, that wasn't very good. That was handled poorly. But given everything else that's happened in Vancouver this year. Right from the beginning of the year, from you know, management were replaced and and injury complaints and, and and criticism from the front office to the coach and you know squabbling amongst the players. Like, there's been so much going on there. It feels like it's emblematic of how dysfunctional that whole organization is right now. And that's the last place you want to be, and that's the last perception you want people to have about your team. But I think it's an accurate one. So like, it just feels, yeah, it was just. Just unnecessarily um, damaging to so many people and the organization. And then the worst part, I mean, you know, Rick Tockett is, is in town. And like, how is he going to slide into Vancouver yeah. like, on, on the down low when everyone's so thinking about this? And then, you know, they have their, their press conference yesterday, Vancouver does. Like, oh, we decided this morning to make a change. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> the new coach is here. He doesn't live here. Don't act like you decided this morning. What are you talking about? Like, you probably could have just said, "Listen." Like, and I know they're always hesitant to admit anything wrong. But if Rutherford or Alvin just said, "Listen, we didn't—that wasn't handled as well as we wanted it to. Um, we would have done some things differently, and and for that, we apologize to Bruce. We're moving home. We're not talking. We're excited about that. Like, if they would have just said that, like, would probably do, go a long way in saying, "Okay, well." Whatever. You still get criticized, but at least you acknowledge it. But this semantic cap dance about well, we just didn't we've interviewed a lot of people and we just decided today, like it's all such garbage which again further hurts their reputation um in in some weird way. So strange, strange times. Everyone loves Bruce Boudreaux. And my last thought on it, guys coaches that I really like. Never even once come close to crying if someone lost their job. Like I'm hearing about guys going in and shedding tears over Bruce Boudreaux. Like, if that's true, then that is an incredibly um, impactful situation they've gone through because that's not normal. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, it's not like we've seen guys cry. Like the guy, like Ryan Smith, when he got traded, he was crying. That's, that's not that abnormal. But his teammates weren't crying for him, right? I've, like, guys don't cry when coaches get fired. It stinks, and you feel bad, and you, and you may hurt you, know, you may hurt for that person, but if that's true, that is, uh really says something about where that team was at mentally.
3: Yeah, it re- it really does. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I-, I just feel bad for talk coming in on this situation. You know, like it's, Why? Well, Why just, do you feel
0: bad for talking?
2: That was like the weirdest <laughs> person to <laughs> What's pick.
3: Hap- no, it's not that it was a weird person to pick. Like, I mean, Johnny, you played for, for Rick yeah. Talkett for a year, didn't you? And, I don't and, talk well. Yeah, yeah, yeah I absolutely like do. So, like, is he – I mean, he's coming into this, and – it's just people are still in love with Bruce and the way that it kind of happened, and not that I think Rick Tockett's coming. Like he's not the villain, but it's weird. It's like the, the you're going to continue to talk about your ex with your current, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend. I just it's a weird, peculiar situation for Rick Tocket to be in.
0: I mean, so I guess I just say this: it's not of his own making, but it's not like he wasn't part of whatever was going on, right? Like he could have said. I can't leave for four weeks or whatever or whatever the delay was for the TNT thing, if that was part of it, um, you know, he could add a conversation like, you know, I will accept the job as soon as one's available, right? Yeah. Or whatever. Like, you could do things to kind of mitigate whatever just happened. Yes, he's got a PR battle in front of him that is probably not primarily of his own making, but he's not like he wasn't part of what was happening. He was having discussions with, uh, the management and knew what was going on and flying in on the Saturday while the other coach, like he could have said, listen, just fire him now, like whatever, you know, he could have been part of those conversations. So,
3: yeah.
0: um, yes, he has a hard uh, goal, but I thought he, uh, when he spoke, said about all the right things, like he was measured. He wasn't coming in saying I'm the hero. He wasn't saying uh, I'm here to, to win, to, to get to the playoffs. He was like, he acknowledged that there were some things to work on. And I think the quickest way to get Vancouver back on your side is to acknowledge that they got a ways to go, right? Like, I I think that's what people in Vancouver kind of want to hear. Like, hey, let's admit that we are not good and let's go do whatever it takes to make ourselves good in the end. But what I want to watch, and and I'm fascinated by this guy, is so talk, like he is, uh, he coached me in Arizona as an assistant when I was like 29, 28, 29, 30. Like I was well into my career I was a borderline man. I mean, I'm still a borderline man, but I was grown up, right? Talk is scary. Like talk is intimidating. And talk was only, I just saw him the thing. He's only like five years older than me, but he's an intimidating guy. And so, um, like when he, when he is going to challenge JT Miller, this is the relationship I want to watch.
3: Yeah.
0: Cause JT Miller, he talked about him like, you know, sort of needing to play harder and pace it, like different things. And, and I think you know JT Miller, who's on a long-term extension, um, is going to have to be a big part of that team. Has had some issues, whether yelling at his goaltenders or snapping or squabbling with his teammates. I want to watch how JT Miller get along, uh, and it may be great. Like talks a good community communicator, but it just that is maybe one situation that I'm going to watch carefully as this starts. To see
3: how it shakes out. Yeah, that's that's something that should be a pretty good uh, a pretty good thing to watch for. Uh, appreciate it as always, Johnny. We'll uh, catch uh, up with you again next week.
0: All right. That was a peculiar hit, but a good one on the left.
2: (laughs) Extremely peculiar.
3: Uh, You guys are using the word wrong. (laughs) Using the word incredibly, (laughs) incredibly wrong.
2: Like from the first moment you said it. uh, Anyways, what a wild word. I'm into it. It's the word of the day.
3: I'm going to look up the definition of the word peculiar, and we'll come back with the definition.
2: Okay. We'll chat.
3: Chat with you soon, Johnny. All right, guys. All right. There he goes. Mike Johnson, TSN, hockey analyst. It's a good word. I don't know why you don't think it's.
2: I uh, do think it's a good word. It's It's just, I don't know if I've ever heard you use it on these airwaves before, and then in the 20 minutes you used it in.
3: Maybe it was on my calendar. But I find it peculiar. It it, it (laughs) wasn't. I do
2: find it peculiar.
3: it, It got to a point, though, where once you pointed it out.
2: Then it I was definitely just, was doing it, it
3: leading into it. But you saw
2: me giggle the first time you dropped it, right? I just find it extremely peculiar, and I was like, "Damn, boy, do you? You find it extremely
3: well, peculiar? No, I, 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 I did. Like, I, I don't know. You I, and I's
2: vibes, like our vibes personally is just more. Yeah, I find. It Really freaking weird. And yeah, then you kinda. went in at it with just totally... So it was just very different yeah, than you usual day I picked up a thesaurus Julia over the weekend. AV energy. Oh, yeah. yeah.
3: You know, I picked up a thesaurus. I like it. Trying to come up with new words to to add to the repertoire, you know? It's sometimes very cool. Spicing things up, freshen it up. So uh, I find it peculiar, <laughs> you know? I'll find the actual definition of the word on the other side. So we'll find the definition of that. We're going to be joined by Farhan Lalji in about 10 minutes or so. We'll dive a little bit deeper into the Bruce Boudreau situation from a man who's been covering the whole thing out in Vancouver. So we'll chat with Farhan. uh, And then Devontae Smith-Pelly going to be in studio with us to start the 1 o'clock hour. He played for Brucey Boudreau. So we'll get into that with him and and maybe look more behind the scenes, what what he thinks it was like, what Bruce is like as a player, and why was he so beloved and such a – a great, you know, players coach. So we'll get into a whole bunch of stuff a little bit later on. I'm Mike DeStefano with you to Sherry. You're some the Leafs Lunch here on TSN 1050. Now, back to Leafs
0: Lunch on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here.
2: You give me sleep. Welcome back to Leafs Lunch on TSN 1050. Julia Tasharian, and Mike DiStefano with you. We're going to be joined by Farhan Lalji in the next, uh, just in the next couple minutes here to kind of get more of a read as to what's going on in Vancouver. Obviously over the weekend, Bruce Boudreaux's firing was unceremoniously dragged out and then became official yesterday morning when they announced Rick Tockett would be his replacement. But I think we all know that this I feel like the story is going to continue to evolve and, and less about this coaching change in particular and more just when it comes to the dysfunction in the Vancouver Canucks organization.
3: Yeah, before we get uh, before we far Logie on, I, I want to play this one clip by Jim Rutherford that he had uh, yesterday at the introductory press conference for Rick Tockett and, and, you know, kind of his explanation. And it was somewhat of an apology, but not really much of an apology to yeah. Bruce Boudreaux. Here's what he had to say yesterday.
0: When people ask me a question, I'm probably too direct and too honest. And so that goes back to my comment about uh, team playing with structure, more structure, and things like that. I've done that my whole career. I've tried to be honest. I've tried to answer the best I can, and sometimes that affects certain people. And in this case, it probably did affect him. And uh, and I'm sorry I did that, and I've learned from it, so I've decided that I need to zip it. I'm not going to talk about the team. I'm going to let Patrick and... Uh, Henrik Rick talk talk about the team and and just stay away from those things.
3: Just gonna zip it, zip it. He's not gonna speak anymore, which is unfortunate because like I did like the just the candor that he does speak with. You don't get I that guess, a whole lot, but now he's kind of but.
2: weaponizing the fed. like. Come on, you could be candid without sewering your coach and like. Unceremoniously dragging out aspiring. firing, like yeah, no, I'm just exactly. not going to talk anymore. So yeah, he's like, like crossing your arms over your chest, yeah, and,
3: and as being, uh, you know, kind of like a, a teenager who isn't allowed to take the car out anymore. It's like, well, I'm, I'm upset. I'm
2: not going to talk at all anymore.
3: But anyways, uh, so we'll, that's that's definitely a situation that we're going to be tracking for a while now. And uh, on the other side, we'll be joined by our TSN Canucks reporter Farhan Lalji, and we'll get the we'll get the skinny on what exactly went down and you know how the fallout is is going to happen out there in Vancouver. Uh, I'm Mike DiStefano with Juliet to Sherry. Listen, Leaf's Lunch here on TSN 1050.
0: This is Leaf's Lunch on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here. And that's when I. Lunch is
2: brought to you by Vanilla Visa prepaid cards available for purchase at Petro Canada, the perfect gift for any occasion. As we welcome you back into Leaf's Lunch here on TSN 1050, the Leafs have the Islanders at home tonight. We'll get into that more in the second hour of the show when DeMonte Smith Pelly will join us. But really, the story that's dominating the hockey world right now is unfolding and I say unfolding even though it kind of reached its head point over the weekend in Vancouver with Boos Boudreaux being fired, Rick Tockett being brought in, but less of course about the coaching change and more of course about the way that this all played out in, in a way that I think is unprecedented in the NHL and with that let's bring in our TSN Vancouver reporter Farhan Lalji. Farhan, how are you today?
4: Good, Julia. Michael, thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, thanks for joining us on a day that I'm sure you have uh, nothing going on at all out there. A very (laughs) busy day for the Vancouver media. Um, Just before we get into Bruce officially being fired and replaced, can you just take us into the building on Saturday night and and just kind of tell us about the atmosphere, the Bruce-there-it-is chance, the signs in the crowd that said, we stand with Bruce. Have you ever experienced anything like that before?
4: no i mean you know and the players will tell you they've never experienced anything like that before firings happen in professional sports it's just part of the world right but uh, as you guys pointed out it's not that he got fired it's how he got fired and talking to jim rutherford and the rest of the front office about it yesterday i don't think they've got a true appreciation of how this is playing out both nationally and in market i think they believe they did it right Uh, you know uh, rutherford said that this is all based on speculation and that's what caused the problems that it did, uh, as opposed to anything he did, even though he did apologize, maybe for uh, being too honest and talking too much. But uh, the, I, and I said to him, I said, I, you know, I, like I certainly don't believe this is a media creation because you've got agents and and mm. players and and other senior management from other teams that I've had a chance to talk to that are shaking their head about this. And he's like, well, you know, I, I know more than you, and more, and I've talked to others and they think it's fine. And sure, certainly he knows more than me, and maybe the people he's talked to are are, are thinking that it's okay, but. Um you know like i've seen reports of certain agents saying it would it would take twenty five percent more to get any of their clients that are uh, that have other reasonable offers right and wow. uh, and that's that's the problem that you get into right this this wasn't uh this wasn't that long ago this organization that the Canucks were just so poorly regarded that they had to overpay and overturn right like they you know they went through a period of time where they would get you know Jay Beagle and you know that level of player around the same year and they they had to give an extra year to at least three players in, in an off season. Again, I think it was like five years ago, maybe six years ago, and, and that happens when you're poorly regarded on the ice. Now, imagine if you're poorly regarded on the ice and poorly regarded with how you treat your players. And when you look at some of the stuff this, this organization has been tied to uh, in recent months, from the, the Rachel Dory human rights complaint, to mm. the medical situation around Tanner Pearson, like all of it adds up. And even the players said, "Like we've just never experienced anything like this." And you know, players will usually tell you when a coach is in battle, oh, we're keeping it out of the room, we're staying focused. These guys were open and transparent. No, we haven't kept it out of the room, and we're not focused. It's, it's hurting us, and uh, it's just tough to see it play out the way it did.
3: Yeah, it was really just like, a, 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 it's, I think Julius said it best. It was kind of wow. unprecedented, the way that it, it all went down. And to me, it kind of felt like it was almost a, like he was on death row, and everyone knew the expiry date. Of him. And it was just so bizarre. Like, pregame, you got Bruce, he's talking about how good luck to the next group. You've got these guys in the rooms, you know, talking about how much they miss him. The emotional goodbye that the Canucks fans gave him. I mean, I just feel like I've never seen anything quite like this.
4: Yeah, and again, you know, Bruce, Jim Rutherford saying that this is kind of how it's done. And he pointed to the fact that when Bruce took over for Travis Green, you know, conversations happened with Bruce before Travis got fired. Um, you know and, and that 's totally fair, and that usually does happen a couple of days out, but uh, it 's being reported today that the owner and the president met with the new head coach during the the outdoor game, right like in the Friday before the outdoor game and uh, and yet Patrick Alvin said he made the decision this morning and and then also said that he 's spoken to uh, that he 'd interviewed a number of candidates for the job, and talkkins says that he had talked to the Sabines a couple of days earlier about the job and you know, like, there's just so much mixed messaging and so much justification. Mm. And ultimately, this, this goes back to the beginning of the year because he wasn't their guy. And, and the more you heard Alvin's comments and others, this is what they wanted. And now they're able to move forward the way they wanted because in the offseason, they didn't want to bring Bruce back. But the fact that he was being paid, I'm sure ownership was involved at that point and said, look, I don't want to pay another guy. I'm already paying Travis Green for the current season. I don't want to be paying yet another coach. And you know, over 57 games, the guy was playing at a six or coaching at a 650 pace, right? The team should have made the playoffs if they had played that way the entire year. So, you know, you could justify bringing him back, or in this case, being forced to bring him back. But right out of the gate, Rutherford was was really direct in his criticisms of Bruce Boudreau publicly. Uh, Boudreau himself said he thought he was done in November when certain comments came out. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just. The fact that it's had to play out this way, they, they had other opportunities. They could have dismissed him. You know, Mike Yo had been a head coach before. They could have let him be an interim head coach while they went through a search and just done it the right way, but they, they didn't, right? And Well, why didn't you know, they do that, Farhand?
3: I mean, that, I, I don't that, know. that seemed. Because I remember having a conversation about this back in November when you said Bruce felt like that. It did feel like that because I think if the timeline lines up. Uh, Jim Rutherford did a sit-down on Hockey Night in Canada, and he was very candid and very blunt about his assessment on the team and says he realized how broken this team was dating back to Training camp.
2: Yeah, the criticisms and, of the systems.
3: Yeah, and, and so then when the team was losing and and they started out the year with all these multi goal losses and, and you um, know, multi goal leads, leads yeah. that they were blowing, it really did seem like it. And I remember having Darren Dreger on and he said, well, the easy succession would be Mike Yo because that was it. They don't want to pay another guy. Well, there was an internal. Solution to this problem, like why why wasn't that the situation, and and why is Rick Tockett now coming in midseason, where maybe it may have seemed like it could have been, I don't know, more seamless to wait until the summer to bring him in. Like, what was the what was the reasoning behind that decision?
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of theories as to why, right? A lot of people looked at this timing and talked about the Canucks' kind of schedule and the fact that from Christmas until now they had a dozen games that were really really high end opponents. And now they've got a much softer schedule the rest of the way. So they wanted to set the coach up that way. Others did say, look, they didn't want to get a, a dead cat bounce with a coaching change and, you know, and go on a run with this team. Others said that, look, at some point they have to make a change this year so that they can at least try to put their systems in and change the way the team is coached and, and build some structure in going into the offseason so they're not having to teach everything next year at training camp. There's a number of theories as to, why they did or didn't, because you're right, I mean, they could have just waited until the off season, right? Or they could have fired him a lot earlier, right? And and again, none of us are necessarily saying the team played well enough that Bruce deserved to keep his job. Mm-hmm. Certainly, we all know the roster is so flawed, but this came down to, to when and how, as opposed to why. And so, you know, I, I wish I could answer that cleanly, but there's a number of theories in, in both directions, you know, why it didn't happen earlier because of the money, that like there's... There's a lot of it. None of it made sense. It still none of it justifies why he was treated the way he was. So I, I, I wish I could I wish I could uh, get into their thinking. But I, I think more than anything, they just became very reactive over the entire process as opposed to proactive
2: with Marhan Lalji right now, our, our TSN reporter out in Vancouver. And you said it right there, the roster is extremely flawed, but we saw what happened when Bruce was hired last year. The Bruce, there it is, chance were raining down the the way that they were on Saturday night, and they ripped off how many, 15 wins in a row, 16, something wow. to that effect. Oh, last eight, year.
3: Eight, eight wins in a row. Oh, God, yeah, I wasn't was that way man. off, <laughs> wasn't I thought it was <laughs> way more successful than that, so yeah. disregard
2: me. But are you, uh, it's hard to predict, but are, are you expecting some players to, to go through the new coach bump once again this season? And if so, uh, who do you have circled here?
4: Well, yeah, I do think some will, just because as much as anything else, the schedule's off, right? Yeah. And that's going to set this team up to win a few more games than really they want to win, because you want to be in the bottom five, right? Like, you want to find a way to, to be in that Conor Bedard sweepstakes, or even the bottom five, uh, if, you, if you wind up getting a top five pick in this year's draft, there's five really good players. Uh, and there seems to be a bit of a drop off after that. So I do think it's going to happen. In terms of players, it'll affect. Um, the guys I'm expecting it to have the biggest positive effect on are Connor Garland and JT Miller. right? Uh, mm-hmm. Connor Garland um, got first unit power play time and, and, and just had more success when he was playing in Phoenix under Rick Tockett. So I think some of that might come back because he really has been struggling, and they've been looking to move him. Uh, then you've got JT Miller, a player who they just signed to a big contract extension that doesn't take him until the summer, and he's just not been good, right? And nobody yeah. expected him to be a 99 point player again, but I think the expectation was he could still be in the mid to high 80s. Uh, the club thought he was a center. Um, they're desperate for him to be a center, and he's not. Like he's just awful in the middle. It, you know, his two way results are so much different when he's playing on the wing. And um I, I get the senses, you know, with, with talking here, they'll move him back to the, to the middle immediately, right? Because this team, if they don't have a mid-center, they're in a big, big problem because Bo Horvat's going to get traded, right? It's just a matter of when, in his case. And if you look at one of the reasons why the Canucks are struggling now, it's that there's no depth in their lineup, right? They don't have a legitimate bottom six center. They at least don't have a third-line center. You can, You know, you can kind of plug and play a different type of player into your fourth line, but... You know, J.T. Miller, they thought they were going to have three legitimate centers, so for them to all of a sudden come out of this process, losing Bo Horvat and conceding that J.T. Miller's a winger, and now you've only got one legitimate NHL center, that's a problem, right? So can they find a way with Rick Tocchet to get J.T. Miller to stop pouting, to stop, to stop turning the puck over and to play a little bit more of a defensively responsible game uh, and to have some better two-way results? We'll see, right, because he is, you know, He's not been good for this team this year. There's no way around that. He's been better as a winger playing next to Bo Horvat, But even even then, it's just he's been better than he has been at center as opposed to necessarily being nearly as good as he was a year ago. So those are the guys I'm looking at. And then Oliver ekman Larson's is another interesting one who really has struggled with pace this year. And he's a player that reportedly didn't get along with Tockett in Arizona. Mm-hmm. So how's that situation going to play out, right? So both, both in positive and negative directions, I think some guys are going to be impacted quick.
3: To think there was some idiot on this show last year that said, trade William Nylander for JT Miller. Make it happen. Oh, mm-hmm. such yeah, an idiot here. <laughs> <laughs> good thing I'm not a uh, good thing I don't have the keys like to the that you castle. I like call yourself there. out like
2: that,
4: though. <laughs> well, I don't mean, be so hard on yourself, Michael. Many people felt they should have traded for him, but you know, ultimately they wanted to get a haul. They're going to get a haul for Bo Horvat. But yeah. they they weren't getting a haul for J T. Miller because he was just viewed differently, either positionally or or however in the marketplace, and um,
3: they couldn't move him, so they
4: they overpaid him.
3: Do you think there's uh, potentially a, a path where the Leafs and Canucks could um, kind of formulate some sort of Bo Horvat trade? Actually, while we're on the topic,
4: I don't know that the Leafs are in a position cap wise to make that work relative to the other teams. Hmm. Um, you know, I mean, you, you, I suppose you could make it work as a rental, but. You know, there's some other teams that might have the ability to do more and, and therefore pay more right so when I look at situations like um you know like Seattle like Carolina especially now uh with um with the injury they've gotten there to Pacioretty and, and how that's gonna open up some space i think I think there's a few other teams even Minnesota you know some that that have the ability to to make those moves and and even Boston when you look at what their roster could look like a year from now with <sighs> potential retirement
3: no, to, I don't want the guys see that.
4: up their lineup, right so and listen I don't I, I, you know, if you look at Vancouver, and, you know, they, they did a poll, and, you know, the thing you can always say about a poll is how many people vote. And um, there was a lot of traffic when they said, who's the team you'd least like to see Bo Horvat wind up on? And it was Boston, Toronto, Calgary, Edmonton. <laughs> and a lot of people voted because nobody in Vancouver wants to see him on any of those teams. So, uh, you know, I think, to be truthful, I think Seattle makes the most sense. And ironically, it's not a rivalry because they haven't played each other in a meaningful situation yet. Vancouver's won every game they played against Seattle, but Seattle's leading the division while the Canucks are, are at the bottom of the NHL standings or near that. So, that might spice up the rivalry of Bo Horvat all of a sudden winds up in Seattle. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Actually, while we're on the subject of of Seattle, we talked about the way that uh, the way the situation is unfolded potentially affecting free agents and, and players wanting to to play for the team. Is there concern in Vancouver at all from from the the sense that you get? of like losing fans fans no longer wanting to buy into this team i said i segued with with seattle because they would be the easy team to jump ship to at at this point right now
4: yeah i mean look i think the fans will always come back if they became competent but yeah i i do right and there was a period of time where i felt that this organization's brand was teflon that it was so you know, whether it was success, successful in varying degrees, but more importantly, it was it was fully embedded and committed to the community, right? And It was viewed a certain way as a corporate partner and, and as a public trust. It's not viewed that way anymore. It just isn't. And um, tickets are available. And season tickets, you know, we, we don't have a 5,000 waiting list for season tickets anymore. So I do think it could have an impact because when your organization is viewed as not just a losing product, but treats people poorly, I think that could change. Yeah. And I don't know, I, I get the sense we're at a tipping point here. I mean, fans in this market do not like the owner. It might be a worse situation in that regard than Eugene Mellie. Um, You know, like it's, it's, oh. not quite Donald, it's not quite Daniel Snyder, but it's bad. Um, you know, and when, when Jim Benning was here, I think people felt that Canucks were, that Benning was out of his depth, that he wasn't equipped to build a championship team. He doesn't know how to do that. And isn't that respected around the league, uh, you know, in terms of as a GM versus being a scout. When Jim Rutherford came here, he had all those check boxes or mm-hmm. check marks, right? Everyone thought, look, this guy's a three time cup winner. He's got a Hall of Fame resume and it's turned on him so quickly in the last year. So, or, or at least in, during this season. So I think it's going to. I think there are a number of people that we're getting. And you know, you always get the, the worst 1% or 0.1% on Twitter that say they're going to give up their season tickets, but talking to some people on the business side, there, yeah, there are some concerns that, that this organization doesn't quite understand this market, and they may have miscalculated on a few other, few levels from not willing to completely rebuild because they think the market's impatient, and I think they're ready for a meaningful rebuild with clear vision um, and with what's going on here in terms of just how they're treating people. So we could be at a tipping point here, and I think it, it could affect the bottom line.
3: All right, Farhan. Uh, we gotta fly, buddy. But I really appreciate taking the time to uh, walk us through what's going on in Vancouver. It'll certainly be something to watch for the next uh, couple of mo- well, I guess, couple of months till the season's over. Appreciate the time, and we'll chat again down the road.
4: All right, thanks, Michael. Jessica, be well. Or Julie, I should say. It's all
2: good. <laughs> there there goes. Goes. It's a J name, right?
3: <laughs> there he goes, Farhan. Lalji, our TSN Vancouver Bureau reporter. I want to get a football question because he was really upset yesterday after his hit with Jay yeah. that he didn't get a football question because he used him for Luke Wilson, got all the football right. questions. But we ran out of time. We got Devontae Smith-Pelly coming up on the other side. Uh, I'm Mike DiStefano, Julie Teixeira. you listen to Leafs Lunch here on TSN 1050.